Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you, Andy and Julie, for leading us in worship this morning. And Andy, that introduction, awesome, Pastor Brock. I do hope my boys are listening on. See, it's not only me who, who says it, boys. <laughs> I'm just joking. It is, it is good to, to be with you this morning. And I do pray wherever you're listening on, wherever you're watching, that the Lord meets with you today. If you're laying in a hospital bed, whether you're on your lounge, uh, whether you're outside uh, watching on, on your phone, I do pray that today will be transformational to and, and for you. Uh, like Andy said, my name is Pastor Brock and it's a privilege to be here. Can I share something with you this morning? I love Facebook Marketplace. You just never know what you need until you're scrolling past and then suddenly something jumps out at you and says, you need to buy me. This is particularly true when it comes to tools for my shed. That's why I love when my wife Bree asks me to make her something or do some more renovations because it just might be another excuse to buy uh, that tool that I don't have. But do you know what's annoying? We're in people, when people are advertising, in their advertisement, they advertise a whole lot of different things or items together as the one package. In their advertisement, it says, will not separate. It means that you can't just take the items you want. You have to take all of it or none of it. I saw recently, I saw some old timber and I thought, gee, I could make something beautiful out of that. But the thing is, it came in a package, will not separate. There was a whole lot of soil and rock as well. The fact is, I only wanted the timber, not everything else. And I didn't end up taking it for, because for me to arrange a trailer and pick up the soil and rock and then work out how I was going to get rid of it was too much effort. I wasn't quite prepared for all that was required. So I say this this morning because we see something very similar. This term will not separate. As we come to a particular interaction between Jesus and his disciples and more particular between Jesus and Peter in the gospel of Mark from verse 27. In this passage, Peter is acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah, the one Israel has been looking forward to as God's promised king. But for Peter, he is not quite prepared for what that means to and for him as he does so. Because for Peter to acknowledge that Jesus is Messiah, it also means that Peter had to take everything else that Jesus was calling him to from that point forward as well. Peter was happy and, and wanted to take the things of Christ that he liked. Jesus' popularity, the miracle show, being connected to the, to the one, the promised Messiah. But Peter wasn't quite prepared to take the whole lot, and we'll see that in just a moment. If Jesus was to put an ad on Facebook Marketplace, it would say, will not separate. If you believe that Jesus is the chosen one, and you want him to be your saviour, it's a package deal. And the only way to follow him as your king is with him centered on your life as we think about this this morning i want us to realize that jesus says take all of me follow me 
or deny me and take none of me. We can't simply do both and sit on the fence. Lukewarmness is not an option. Let's have a look at this passage in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, from verse 27. If you have your Bibles, please follow along with me. That's Mark, chapter 8, from verse 27. And it says this. Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked Peter. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. This story is the watershed event in the Gospel of Mark. What I mean by that is the turning point in this Gospel. Because the main question that we've been looking at leading up to this particular event event is this. Who is Jesus? Who is this man, this teacher, Jesus Christ? The question, this is the question we've been exploring through our King Jesus teaching series. And finally, in this passage in Mark 8, the question is answered in verse 29. Peter responds to the Jesus question, who do you say I am? You are the Messiah he claims. So we have it settled. We have the identity of Jesus revealed. This is good news. Peter is willing to say and commit, I've listened to you talk, I've seen what you've done, I've witnessed everything, and I'm prepared to say, as a result, you are Messiah. What does Messiah mean? Literally, it means anointed one. It means someone chosen by God and empowered by God to accomplish a specific task. At this watershed moment, look what happens next in verse 31 and 32. He, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. So when Peter heard this, he says, no way. It says that Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine Peter taking Jesus aside and saying, sorry to say, Jesus, but you've got this all wrong. Let's talk through this sensibly. That's not what's meant to happen as a king. Peter wouldn't have a bar of it. And this is why. In his understanding, he was acknowledging that their saviour was a king. He was going to be victorious and bring salvation and freedom to the Jews by defeating their enemy. And it's going to come about in an act of glorious splendour and power. That's what kings do. That's what King David did, and that's what they expected this descendant of David to do as well. Around the time of Jesus, the Messiah for the disciples, from their knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, was understood to be a king who would deliver the nation of Israel and restore David's kingdom to its former greatness. And Peter here, he acknowledges this. 
He identifies Jesus as the one who would become king of Israel and reign on the throne of Jesus. But here's the thing. The Messiah, the deliverer who would restore David's kingdom is a victor. They had no category of a Messiah who would suffer. There was nothing in their understanding of the Messiah from their knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures that told or taught them that indicated to them that the Messiah would suffer. I want to say, sure, there was scriptures that talked about a mysterious suffering servant in Isaiah. We know now there was lots of prophecy, but they didn't think of the Messiah when they read this. They had no category for a Messiah who would suffer. But Jesus says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected and that he must be killed. You can see why Peter argued crucifixion was a horrible instrument of execution in which you were stripped of all your dignity, all your clothes and barbarically killed. The cross is very opposite to the throne. But the son of man, Jesus says, must be killed. We now know that that was a means to the end. It was all required for Jesus to fulfill the task ahead of him as the anointed Messiah. Jesus then, going on in verse 34, makes it very clear that there's not only a requirement for a response from Jesus here, But they, as his disciples, were in this as well. There was a response that Jesus required from them. Jesus, his disciples, and us here today, we're all in this together. Jesus is about to very clearly and directly lay out to his disciples what is actually required for them to follow a Messiah. He wants Peter to know that there's more to it than simply answering the question correctly, who do you say I am? What Jesus is explaining, yes, it's vitally important to acknowledge me as Messiah first. But secondly, and of equal importance, the response require, there is a response that's required to follow the Messiah. Jesus is about to answer this question. How do you follow a Messiah? How do you follow God's chosen king? And this is a really important question for us to think about and contemplate this morning. Because the acknowledgement of Jesus and Messiah and the response that that calls for is totally inseparable as we go about our discipleship journey. Have a look with me with what this looks like in verse 34. Then Jesus, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Christianity is essentially about following the leader. No true follower, no true follower goes, refuses to go where the leader leads. And where does the, 
the road to following Jesus lead? To the cross. The price of following Jesus is that we have to go where Jesus went. And where did Jesus go? To suffer on a cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Jesus, when he was saying this to Peter, wasn't asking him to follow him into glamorous victory. Jesus was asking him to follow him into glorious victory in suffering and death. It is very much victory, absolutely. But very different than I bet the disciples thought they were signing up for when Jesus was teaching this. Church, Jesus doesn't call us to a life adjustment program. He doesn't ask us for a few modest alterations to better ourselves. He's not looking for us to tick a few religious boxes to do the right things in the right places with the right people at the right time. He calls us to die. He calls us to die to our self-centeredness and have our lives centered on him. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This includes Jesus-centered transformation as we grow in our biblical spiritual maturity. He asks us to take the whole package. And church this morning says, will not separate. Let's notice something really important before we dig into this a little bit deeper. Jesus is not only teaching his disciples with words, but he's backing up his teaching with his actions. Jesus' approach to leadership and fulfilling this role as anointed Messiah is not one like a CEO where he sits in his office and barks orders down to his employees and instructions down the line. He was not instructing his disciples to do anything or go anywhere. He was not willing to do or go himself first. This brings Jesus an incredible level of credibility and integrity. Because what he's asking his disciples to do is exactly what he did and was about to do as he journeyed toward the cross. When Jesus asks us to sacrifice our desires to our heavenly father, it's because he did so first. When he says that we will suffer and be persecuted for the gospel, it's because he suffered and was persecuted first. Jesus asks us to lay everything down for the gospel's sake. And that's because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus has not and will not call us to anything that he hasn't already done or experienced himself first. He lived, he suffered, he lost everything. 
But now following all these events, we get to see Jesus experience his reward as well. We get to see that, that Jesus lived in this perfect, fulfilling relationship with his father. And now where is he? He sits at the right hand of God in heaven. Wow, what a reward. Let's continue as we dig into this. Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves. What does that look like? We, we generally arrange our life around who? Ourselves. Let me tell you the, some of the things I like. I like getting things my own way. I like ease. I like comfort. And I like security. We generally like to, to have long and troubled free lives as possible. Is this right? That's our natural inclination. But Jesus says that following him means denying ourselves. Please notice, this doesn't mean that we deny things to ourselves, like giving up ice cream or TV. This is far, this calling is far more radical than that. It's about renouncing myself as the dominant focus of my life. Church, it's about turning away from the idolatry of self-centeredness and turning away from every attempt to orientate our life to self-interest. It's a fundamental transformation and reorientation of our entire life. Do you get that? It's a fundamental transformation and reorientation of our entire life. God, not self must be at the center. Deny yourself, but also take up your cross. What does it mean to take up our cross? Jesus carried his cross on his back when he was on his way to be executed. Take up your cross and follow me. Taking up your cross means following Jesus to suffering and death. It involves death so that resurrection can come. The dying I have in mind is the dying to comfort, to security, to reputation, to health, to family, to friends, to home. Any of these things could be taken away from us at any time in the path of Christ exalting obedience. To die the way the Apostle Paul described and did is to take up our cross daily the way that Jesus commanded and to embrace life for Christ's sake. To, sorry, to embrace this life of loss for Christ's sake and count it gain. Taking up our cross and following Jesus means this. Daily Christian... Daily Christian living is daily Christian dying, John Piper said. I can say, church, with absolute confidence, 100%, life on any other road is wasted. Can I please take a moment to reference Mark chapter 1, verse 15, in relation to taking up our cross, which is essentially the act of putting our sin to death. 
And my beautiful wife pointed this out to me on, on Thursday. Thanks, Bree. Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I want to emphasize that this reorientation, this taking up our cross must involve repentance. Repent and believe, repent and believe it says. Repentance is the deliberate choice by the strength of the Holy Spirit to turn 180 degrees from our sin. It's not just belief as we see Peter acknowledging here. Because the reality is even Satan believed that Jesus was Messiah. He acknowledged it. He knew it. Earlier in the Gospel of Mark, even the demons acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah. But the difference is Jesus didn't and hasn't repented from his sin. To follow Jesus, we must consciously and deliberately turn from our old sinful ways, our self-centered habits, and no longer live according to our sinful nature and instead follow him. And this repentance for some things may be a one-off and for other things it might be a repeated repentance. Most of the time, what that looks like is actually taking us off the throne and allowing Jesus to sit in his rightful place. This is a big calling. This is huge. So I guess I want to ask the question or or explore who this applies to. I guess it only applies to those followers of Jesus who have a theological degree, who have years of faith, and have much ministry experience. Who does this calling apply to? I want to say this isn't optional for just the advanced Christians. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple. They aren't advanced requirements. These requirements that Jesus teaches us, they're the minimum requirements. And this is exactly perhaps where I think we fall short. We face the temptation of a more pleasant, less rigorous variety of Christianity. We live in a consumerist, consumeristic society and, and many of us maybe approach our religious lives no different than any other aspect of our life. Maybe we come to church not to serve, but just wanting to know, what am I going to get out of it? Did I like the music today? We want a full church service full of pleasing worship. We want a good youth and children program. We want excellent childcare. We want nice facilities. We want pastoral care when we need it. And at last, we want passable teaching. Someone once said, and the quote will be up on the screen, we prefer religion a la carte and opt for the salads and dessert but not the main course with all its hard demands of obedience church we only have two options and we have the beauty of god's loving free will to choose our response the response is ours we can completely reject the demands of jesus and hate him Or we can give up all of our life in complete devotion and follow him. 
the only thing we can't do is follow him a little. If we follow him, it costs us our lives. Will not separate. We take Jesus as our Messiah on Sunday. But we also take Jesus as our Messiah on Monday. We take Jesus as our Messiah on Tuesday. We take him as our Messiah on Wednesday. We take him as our Messiah on Thursday. We take him as our Messiah on Friday. And we take Jesus as our Messiah on Saturday. We repent. We turn from our sin and follow him. As Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. We've looked at the what, the who, and the why. I think at this point, if we don't already know the answer, we could quite reasonably ask the question, why would I ever do this? Why not hold on to my own life instead of losing it? I have the choice. You can hold on to your life if you want. It sounds like a whole lot of sacrifice, all this talk of suffering and death to ourselves. But I have to say, from my own testimony and for anyone else who has truly experienced the grace of God and the ongoing transformation of the Holy Spirit in your life, the payoff of a rich life in Christ, both on earth and into eternity, far outweighs any other road we could travel. The Apostle Paul said to live is Christ. You can hold on to your life for yourself. That's your choice. But in the process, your life will be wasting away. Life on any other road is wasted. David Lodge wrote a novel called Therapy. And the therapist of the main character asked him to list the good things in his life in one column and the bad things in another. In the good column, he wrote, professionally successful, well-off, good health, stable marriage, kids successfully launched into adult life, nice house, nice car, and a holiday whenever I wanted it. And in the bad column, he wrote just one thing, feel unhappy most of the time. You can hold on to your life, Jesus says. That's your choice. But if you hold on to your life, we, Jesus also says, you can, in thir- verse 35, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for the gospel and for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? Church, there is so much at stake here as we confess Jesus as our personal saviour. Who do you say I am? You are the Messiah. It requires us to follow. It requires a response that encompasses every aspect of our life. This call is a blessing. It is rich. 
not only in our life here on earth with Christ, but into eternity as well. I don't have to stand here and try to convince you that anything that's worth something comes at a cost. We all know that. God's grace is absolutely free, but it costs Jesus everything. Our response is our free will choice, but it will cost us everything. And for that church, I say, bring it on. Church, can I, can I please ask you to close your eyes where, wherever you're watching on. As we think about this question, what does it look like for us to follow a, a Messiah? With your eyes closed, I'd like to read a section from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, as we close today. How do you follow a Messiah as his disciple? C.S. Lewis writes this. The more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. There is so much of him that millions and millions of little Christs, all different, will still be too few to express him fully. It is no good to try to be myself without him. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself up to his personality, that I first to begin to have a real personality of my own. Give up yourself, he says, and you'll find your real self. Lose your life and you'll find it. Submit to death. Death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day. And death of your body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Church... Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him with everything else thrown in. What a rich text. To everyone listening right now, I want to ask the question, do you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because he says so clearly in Mark chapter 8, in my words, will not separate. Take all of him or none of him. Will we be able to say wholeheartedly, Jesus, you are my disciple on Sunday. You are my disciple on Monday. You're my disciple on Tuesday and on Wednesday, on Thursday you're my, you're my Messiah on Friday. Jesus, you are my disciple on Saturday. I choose to deny myself and take up my cross and follow you. Will you pray with me, church? Father God, Lord, what a calling. Wow. It's easy for us to gloss over this and simply answer the question why 
why would we do it? It seems so hard. But Lord, we know that you've given us the Holy Spirit. And as we grab hold of his strength in us, we can do this. And Father, our lives will be and are so much richer as a result. Both as we're living here on earth and into eternity with you as well. Father, we imagine the day that all your followers grab this wholeheartedly. Father, we know that, that, that we would just see your spread of transformation just go across the world. This message of love and forgiveness and grace and peace and mercy. All of the fruits of the Spirit. Father, we ask for your help in this. For those listening on, Father, who maybe have a hardened heart. And Father, just reject this in your message. I pray, Lord, that you will soften their hearts, that they may see that this is not a fairy tale, but this is a rich story of truth. Father, we thank you that we are your disciples, called to follow you and make disciples of all nations. And for that, we simply say today, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.